Hi, this is Matt Shaw, pastor at City Lift Church. If you're in the Fort Lauderdale area, we'd love for you to come visit us on a Sunday sometime or join us online, citylift.church. We hope today's message fills you with courage and helps you on your spiritual journey. We exist just to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. Enjoy today's message. Amen. Why don't you turn to two or three people and say, Happy Easter. Say, you look better after worship. Come on, what are you using for moisturizing? Come on, like eyebrows on fleek, whatever, make their day. It's a great, great Easter. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Matt. Thank you for being here today. This is my lovely wife, Alyssa, uh, and we welcome you. Uh, hopefully you feel welcome today. Uh, a couple of quick things. Uh, we're selling some new merch today, so we got some T-shirts and water bottles. And uh, also, if this is your first time here, we want to give you a welcome box. So make sure you see this good-looking dude over here, Matt. And uh, a lot of Matts in the 80s, right? I mean, so, um, and he will hook you up with a welcome box, but we want you to feel welcomed and loved today, uh, and it is our uh, really joy to have you here to worship Jesus with us today. I don't wear suits very often, but every now and then I will clean up, and I felt like baby blue because it's spring 2022, and uh, we're just... We're just having we're just having fun. Um, so my wife and I have four children. Uh, clearly, we're not good at managing our life, and uh, there there they are. Uh, this has nothing to do with the rest of the message in this part anyway. But uh, I just thought I'd show you something cute. You'll probably pay attention to me and like me a little bit better if I do that. Uh, for today's Easter message, uh, I really just wanted to kind of unpack uh, the profoundness and the simplicity of the gospel. Uh, I think sometimes as we do church and as we uh, do Christian life, a lot of things can get messy. And and hazy, and what is this whole thing really about anyway? And so today is really just going to be a focus on what in the world is this entire thing about me? Why did we get together? Why do we celebrate this man, Jesus? Why do we celebrate Easter? And we just want to unpack that from the Bible uh, today. Uh, I've I've got an illustration for you, and uh, this is not a creative illustration. Okay, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to give like all all my uh, preferences, or what do you call those things? Disclaimers, thank you. I was like, preference, not wrong word. It's, I've already preached once, so clearly I need more coffee. Uh, give my disclaimers now. So I learned how to draw stick figures in the first grade, and that's the end of the story, okay? That's as far as my, my art skills uh, got. But what I, what I do believe is I believe God is the greatest artist in the universe. How many of you believe that God is the greatest artist in the universe? And I believe that he's, he's the greatest creator. He's the greatest inventor. There, there's never a mind that is greater than God's mind. There's never a heart bigger than God's heart. And, and when God created, I, I think it was beautiful and perfect and good. And, and, and as we look at Easter, and as we, we really have two images that I wanted to kind of talk about today, and that is the cross and the empty grave. In fact, we decided to call this Easter the empty grave. And, and as we, we look to these images, as we look to what God has done in the Easter story, we begin to get a picture of who God is and what God is about. And so again, without judging my art skills too hard this morning, as, as you begin to look at the cross of Christ, as you begin to see the image and the painting and the picture that God is drawing for us, right? When an artist does something, and when they're painting, and when they're moving, you can always see where the artist has been based on the, the painting, or the drawing, or, or the marks that are left behind, right? And that's, that's what an artist will do. They'll, they'll put something on a blank canvas, and then you begin to see this imagery, this picture of what took place. And as you look to the cross of Christ, there's a few things that I think are inescapable. You cannot get away from the image and the message of what God is trying 
to tell us. Uh, but you cannot escape the, the image and the picture of God's love. And if you're taking notes this morning, what is the cross? What is this entire thing about? Why do we get to celebrate and come together and, and, and get excited about this man named Jesus? You cannot escape God's love. In fact, if, if you've only read just a, a little bit of the Bible or, or just know a little bit about Christianity, my, my guess is odds are you have heard of John 3.16, that you have heard this verse. It's the most famous verse in all of the Bible, right? If Christianity was boiled down to one verse, it would be probably John 3.16. Let's read it this morning. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God so loved. Romans 5.8 would be another favorite verse of mine. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Let's throw the picture back of, of my children again. Um, we, we celebrated Easter this morning. We had Easter baskets out and Easter eggs for everybody. It was a lot of fun. Uh, four kids is crazy. The comedian Jim Gaffigan says, what is having uh, four kids like? Well, imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. That's it. Okay. And I, I just, it's, it really is true. It's, it is quite fun and quite chaotic. I, I can't remember the last time I said I was bored. Okay. Boredom is a thing of the past. It is, it is completely gone. You know, it's just, it is quite chaotic, quite fun. So my wife and I, we believe in Jesus and coffee and it just, it's exciting. Every, everything that we do. Now, the thing about kids is kids in a really wild and beautiful way exposes unconditional love. And, and my wife, we've been, and we've been married for 17 years, and our marriage is fun, it's healthy, we love each other, but how many of you know that marriage is kind of based on some conditions still? Like, there are some rules to our marriage. If my wife cheated on me once, maybe I could get over it once for the kids, but if she did it two or three times, at some point, I'm going to say, I am not a priority in your life, right? And, and it would most likely dissolve, dissolve the marriage, right? But how many of you know that my children can cheat on me? and lie to me, and say mean things to me, and I'm not going to not be their dad. I'm going to stay in their life that even though they might be a little unfaithful, dad is going to stay faithful, and he is going to love on them and commit himself to them forever. My children could become the dictator of a small country, and I'm going to be like, we're still going to figure this thing out. I love you. We're going to get through this. Let's get some counseling. Come on. You know, like, like there is just something about the depth of the love of a parent to a child that is so unconditional. One of my favorite comedians is Ryan Reynolds. And I just, I don't know, he's just funny to me. I like the way that he, he loads things and says things. And, and uh, there's a picture of him and his wife, Blake, here. And he said, I used to say to Blake, I would take a bullet for you. I could never love anything as much as I love you. He said, I would say that to my wife. And the second I looked in my baby's eyes, I knew that in the exact moment, if we were ever under attack, I would use my wife as a human shield to protect that baby. <laughs> There's just something about the depth of the love of a parent to a child. Now, I, I love my kids. You can throw the image of my kids back up there. Um, and and I, here's the thing. I have a lot of friends and family that I, that I do love and care for dearly. Now, I am never going to willingly give my children to them as long as I'm alive. Why? Because I, I love them more. I, I love them. I, I, I love my parents. My parents right now are walking our kids around so we can do the second service, but I don't want to give them to my parents. I, I want them, right? Um, I, I'm never going to give my kids to an acquaintance 
Um, I'm never going to give my child to a stranger. In fact, you, you could offer me a million dollars for my child, and I would not give my child up. You, you could offer me a billion dollars, and I, maybe I'd think about it. No, I'm kidding. Like, I, I would not give them up for a billion dollars. They're, they're priceless to me. And here's what I would absolutely never do. I would never give my child to one of my enemies. The Bible says that while you and I were God's enemies, this is when God the Father sends Jesus for us to live for us and die for us. When you and I held beliefs and attitudes that were against the Father, the Father opened his heart and gave the greatest thing that heaven had. What is a God who walks on streets of gold, who owns millions of stars, right? The, the astronomers think there are some stars and, and planets that just rain diamonds because of the pressure. What, what is a God who has thousands, possibly millions of angels, what is a God like this give to prove to you that he loves you? He bankrupts heaven. Heaven only has one son whom he loves, and he gives this son for you and for me. How do you know the value of something? You can always determine the value of something by what someone is willing to pay for it. You mean Jesus to the Father, the one and the only Son. That's what you mean to Him. It is God's best. It is God's heart. If Jesus does not move your heart, no amount of money will. No, no, no spectacular show ever will because there's nothing else the Father can do but give you His best. It's been said that religion is man's best effort to get to God, but that Jesus is God's best effort to get to man. He wants your heart. As I, as I look at the cross, back to my terrible, terrible drawing, I just feel that you're judging my creative element so hard this morning. Some of you are like, I'm going to church by the glades after this. This creativity is terrible. No, we love them. Pastor David's a dear friend. But this image is, is God begins to paint this image and picture of the cross and what he's done. I see the depth of his forgiveness. I, I, I see the capacity of his heart and his love, and I see the depth of his forgiveness. Now, I know it's 2022, and we live in a modern era. Nobody wants to talk about sin anymore. But, but if I never see the ugliness of sin, I cannot look at the sweetness of my Savior. See, the Bible, the Bible says that God is love, right? 1 John 4, 8, it, it tells us right there in his word that God, he is love. But, but it also says, says that God is holy, that, that he is holy. When, when someone is just, they can't let injustice happen. And, and even in the law, right, the law, as long as man is making laws, it will always be imperfect and broken and fractured. But even in the law, there is the sense of if somebody's going around and hurting people or murdering people, we have to stop that person, right? We cannot be a just law and allow in, injustice. And so what is a God who's 100% love, but he's 100% pure and, and holy and, and righteous, and, and, and he cannot stand greed and selfishness and us hurting each other. What, what does a just God do? He cannot allow injustice, right? And the problem, the problem with this is, is that, you know, his justice would disqualify all of us, right? The Bible just says if you even have a little hate in your heart toward your brother, you've already murdered them. You know, I don't know about you, but after five minutes of Twitter, I get tempted, 
right? It's like I don't like humanity as much as I liked it five minutes before. You know, if I'm driving on 595, it's like I thought I loved people, okay? It says things that, that if you just look at, at someone with lust in your heart, that you've already committed adultery with them, right? I mean, so it's like the, the standard of God's perfection, His holiness is so pure, but, but yet His love and His heart is so big. What does He do? He meets us at the cross. He meets us at the cross. The, the message of Christianity is not, hey, Christians are good and perfect and everybody else is bad and wrong. The message of, of the cross is not Christians have it all together and we don't like anybody else and we think they're wrong. The, the message of the cross is we are all broken in need of a Savior. Can I get a nice strong amen from the church? The message is we're all looking to Jesus, right? We're, we're all looking to him. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we were a Marvel movie, we would be the villains and Jesus would be the avenger right? The rest of us are recovering villains at best. He is the hero of our story because he lived a perfect life for me. He's perfect love and perfect holiness, and he lived for me, and he died for me. He took my place on, on the cross. Theologians call it substitution, right? A substitutionary atonement. It's just a fancy word that means that Jesus did this for me, that he did something for me that I could never do for myself. Even my best efforts, the Bible says, are like filthy rags. They'll never measure up. And so he did for me what I could never do for myself. Colossians 2, it says that he forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. There was a PBS special, and it said, Christianity is the only major religion to have at its central focus the suffering and degradation of its God. The only one that it's like our God went through shame and pain and suffering, and we get excited about this? We celebrate this? And, and this is why Paul said it's foolishness to the world. Our world can't stand weakness. They can't stand suffering and pain and yet when the Holy Spirit unveils your eyes, you see, oh my goodness, Jesus did this for me. He took my shame so I don't have to walk in shame anymore. You know, you, you can be silent about your shame, but how do you escape yourself? What do I do with my guilt? What do I do with what the things that I have done wrong that I don't want anybody to know? What do I do with that? God was embarrassed so I don't have to be anymore. He carried my shame on the cross. He carried my guilt on the cross. He took everything that stood against me and God and he nailed it to the cross and God forever separated you from your sin so he could accept you and deal with your sin. This is the gospel. As I look to the cross, one final piece that we all need to hear this morning. As I look to the cross, I see the courage to forgive. I see the courage to forgive. Luke 23 gives us a picture. Jesus is dying on the cross. They have punched him in the face. They pulled out his beard. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They have whipped him. They have dragged him. And, and now he's dying, and they are making fun of him. They're making fun of him. They're gambling over his clothes. I mean, can you just imagine how low that must feel? I mean, imagine you are in a car accident and you're on the side of the road bleeding out and somebody comes up and laughs at you and gambles with their buddy over who's going to get your clothes. 
when you're gone. They're not even helping you. I don't know about you, but this would have been the moment I would have lost it. I'm too petty. I'm too country. I said, God, bring the lightning. They don't, they're, they're making fun of me while I'm dying for them. They don't even know what's going on. And Jesus says this prayer, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, when I look to the cross, I realize what Jesus did for me will always mean more to me than what people do to me. Anybody been hurting here? Come on, the rest of you are liars. Everybody's been hurt in here. Okay, everybody's been offended in here. Everybody's gone through pain and, and hurt, and someone has hurt you. How do we get the courage to forgive? I look at Jesus and what he forgave, and I realize what you did for me will always mean more to me than what people do to me. I find the courage to forgive. Your forgiver will be the greatest muscle you will ever use in life. If you don't believe me, just jump back up on social media, right? Like, you know, we, we just did a, recently did a lot of stuff where we were promoting the church, and somebody on our post was like, bye. And I'm like, bye yourself. Like, I'm going to have a great Easter with a lot of great people. Like, I, you know, and I just, I, my pettiness came out. And, and I was like, yeah, whatever. You know, I forgive him. God bless him. You know, I do all those things the Bible tells you to do, like pray for the people that, you know, talk about you and like, whatever. You know, it's like, doesn't the Bible say, like, the most inconvenient thing sometimes? And so I was just like, all right, fine. You know, I'll, I'll be a. Christian and be a pastor. But we all have to forgive. But as I realize what he forgave, that gives me the strength to forgive what I need to forgive. Forgiveness keeps me free. My mom always used to say, bitterness is the poison you drink, hoping it kills the other person. You need to be spiritually free. You need God's freedom. You need his love. And you got to forgive when others, when others hurt. This is the, the cross. Now, if, if the cross is God's love on display. And again, please don't judge the creative element. It's so simple. I'm never going to do another element again, Matt, the rest of my preaching. I just, I think I'm done. I'm done trying. As I look to the empty grave, if the cross is God's love and a picture of his love, the empty grave is a picture of God's power. And we need this. We need this. Old school Christians would say he defeated death, hell, and the grave. Right, and they used to say it like bosses. You know what I'm talking about, Desmond, back there. Like, death, hell, and the grave. Right, it's just like just some, some power to it. What I find so fascinating is when humankind was in trouble, God didn't give us sentiment. He gave us a Savior. And the only way to give a Savior is you got to have power with it too. Because how do you break the chains? How do you get rid of guilt and shame? How, how do you crush sin? How do you crush the works of the devil? How, how do you defeat death and hell and the grave unless you have power? It can't, love is not enough. Right? I, I, I care about the people in Ukraine, but I don't have an army to offer. I don't have power. God had love and he had power to do it. And the empty grave is proof that he had power to conquer these things. And so when I look to the empty grave, I see his power on display. And, and this is really is the issue of Christianity, guys. I mean, if you want to fast forward to 2022, the issue right now, this week, this week, and this, this is the issue. Because if he's still in the grave, everything we do doesn't mean a thing. There is no purpose for Christianity. There is no purpose for our faith. There is no purpose for our preaching. Nothing matters if the grave is still full. But if the grave is empty, Jesus is the only one that matters. Because he's the only one that has the power to defeat death, hell, and the grave. The Apostle Paul understood this. In Corinthians, he says this. He goes, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is worthless. And so is your faith. Who are Christians? Christians are people who believe the grave is empty. 
Some of us got there from the historical record, and we were convinced. Some of us got there by reading the Bible, and God opened up his words to our heart, and we believed and had a salvation experience. Some of us perhaps experienced the presence of God and were convinced. Some of us were, were made whole or were healed, and all of a sudden we became convinced there's power, there's something to this man, Jesus. For me, I was 17 years old, struggling with depression and suicidal thoughts, and God entered my life, and the desire to end my life dropped, and power came into my life for the first time, and I thought, there's something to this man named Jesus, and he's worth following. Christians believe the grave is empty. What is this whole thing about? It's about an empty grave. It's about an empty grave. We're a people convinced there's something to Jesus. Jesus can either mean everything or nothing, but what he can't mean is something. But we all didn't like that. That's good. He can mean everything or nothing, but he can't mean, he can't mean something. As I look at the empty grave, one last thing, and we'll get some coffee and donuts and celebrate, and we'll all go out and get some food here. I'm hungry now at the noon service, man. As I look at the empty grave here, I see life and life forevermore. What, what are we talking about when we talk empty grave? We're talking life and life forevermore. You know, whether you are an agnostic or the most devout religious person or an atheist or in limbo or whatever, everyone believes that we die. Everybody. That's an undisputed fact and reality of life. No matter what you believe, everyone acknowledges, yeah, we die. Hebrews 9 says, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Everyone from every major religion and belief system and every mind on planet earth, we all acknowledge we die, we leave this place. And yet there's this interesting little verse in Ecclesiastes 3, and it says that he's also set eternity in our heart, which means all of us deep on the inside acknowledge and know, even though I leave my body, there's something more. There's something else. There's something beyond that. You know, the, the world is kind of a funny place, right? And it gives funny advice sometimes that does make sense in, in the moment. You know, and ever since you and I have kind of come to consciousness, which maybe we could say like is, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, somewhere in there, you kind of realize, oh man, life isn't just, you know, for me, it was Ninja Turtles and G.I. Joe. Anybody remember those days, you know? So you're playing, you're having fun, mom and dad are, you know, great. And it's just like your, your childhood. And then you get a little older and then consciousness kind of kicks in a little bit, right? And then you hear people say things like, man, you better work hard. You got to get good grades. You, you got to go into junior high well, right? And you got to pick out a few sports that you got to play, right? You got you to be good. You should start brushing your teeth and doing your hair. You, you don't want boys or you want girls to like you, right? Like, like you get this, this pressure from the outside and, you know, and, and, and you get made fun of for the clothes that you choose, the music you listen to. Remember that? I mean, it's just like all of a sudden there's this pressure, you got to get ready for high school. you got to pick a couple sports that you really want to focus on. you got to study harder, right? Here comes high school, and in, in your sophomore and junior high school, you're like, man, you got to get the best grades ever because you got to start applying for colleges. 
right? And you get into college, like, you got to work hard. You know, when you get out of college, no one asks what their grades were. They just want to see you got that diploma, right? Like, you know, they don't tell you that in college. You, you got to work hard. You got to work your way through school and get those scholarships and go, go, go. And now you're out of college. Awesome. You know, if you want to jump into real life, get a job. If not, go back and get your master's, right? So it's like, it's like now you're in a job. I hate my job. Get another job. You know, work hard. Go, go, go. You know, uh, oh, you're not dating anybody? You start dating because you got to get married. Now you get you get married, and now you're like, when are you gonna have kids? Oh, you don't have a house yet? Come on, you gotta get a house. Wait, I live in South Florida. Okay, rent will do. You know, it's like it's like, come on, let's hustle. We gotta gotta go. And now you got the the house and the kids. And you you save for retirement? Oh my God, you gotta save for retirement. Retirement's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Retire. You gotta have money for retirement, which is true. But we stop talking after retirement, don't we? What's what's after retirement? We're gone. No one says anything. The world doesn't know what to say, and so they're silent. Jesus says everything about this. He says everything about this. See, we hustle people their whole life, and you got to retire good, and then crickets. Why? Because we all die. Everybody knows it. They just don't know what to say. Christians are a people that rally around Jesus. John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The problem with us as people isn't just that we're naughty and irritable. It's that we're spiritually dead. And in heaven, God, God is a living spirit. Heaven is a place of life. So how does God get a dead thing into a living thing? He sends his son. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he puts the old person to death and he brings about a new person in Christ Jesus. In fact, Corinthians says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. You're born again. You become spiritually alive in Christ, that there is life breathed on your life. And he makes you come alive. When you give your life to Christ, your shoe size doesn't get bigger you don't grow two inches. Your hair color doesn't change. You don't get the hair that you lost back, right? It's just like, but, but I become new on the inside. I am changed and transformed as the Holy Spirit breathes on me, and I become a living new creation in Christ Jesus. Can I just have all eyes closed and all heads bowed for a moment? This morning, if you're in here and you're like, hey, Pastor Matt, it's been a while since I've heard that message and something resonated today. Maybe it's just been a while since you've thought about the end, what that might look like. Or maybe you're in here today and you're like, hey, I, I know God. Yeah, I love God. I believe in him, but I really maybe haven't made a decision to follow him and give my life to him. Or maybe you've just been out of church for a while and you're like, hey, I want to I wanna lay some things down. I need my guilt and my shame taken care of, and I want to re-engage God. If that's you this morning, just lift your hand. All eyes are closed. No one's going to embarrass you. We just want to make sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Let's all just pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. God, be my father. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to follow you and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Let's just give it up for the few people that raised their hands this morning. Thank you guys for those decisions. We, we love it. It's what we're all about. 
Thanks again for checking out our podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. Share with a few friends. Thanks for helping us make Jesus famous right here in South Florida. Again, if you're in the Fort Lauderdale area, we'd love to see you sometime. Or as always, visit us online, citylift.church. Have an amazing week.